Dr. John MacArthur say that the Bible contains a limited number of principles that are taught in a variety of different ways. And I believe that that is true. There are a finite number of truths that are taught in Scripture, but they are taught and illustrated in many different ways. One way that we see this is New Testament truths are illustrated and fleshed out in the Old Testament. One of the things that causes us to realize that there is one author of the Bible is how there is such a unity between the Testaments. And what we read in the New Testament, we often see by way of illustration in the Old Testament. Now, Joseph is a prime example. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. And Joseph shows us how we overcome discouragement. Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation. And Joseph reveals to us how we handle temptation. And then Jesus said, you will suffer for my name's sake. And Joseph is an example of how we respond to unfair opposition. There is another verse in the New Testament, one of many, that Joseph illustrates. It is one that we looked at last week in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. In verse 22, uh, Paul says, Flee youthful lusts, a clear reference to Genesis 39. So clearly in verse 22, Paul is thinking of the example of Joseph, and he may well have thought of his example here in these verses as well. Notice what they say. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And that is God's purpose for every single Christian that we would be useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, Joseph, in a very wonderful way in Genesis 41, illustrates that. As we continue in our series, Living a Fruitful Life, chapter 41 is all about how we live a useful life. And you may recall last Sunday as we began that we saw two very critical truths in this chapter, that God accomplishes His plans through His sovereign control. Thank you, Julie, for the songs that reminded us of that in your comments. And then the second great truth we saw is that God accomplishes His plans through useful servants. So chapter 41 is really about two things, the sovereignty of God and the usefulness of Joseph. Now you remember as we began this chapter last week and there are 57 verses, the longest narrative in the whole Joseph narrative, that we saw that the very first mark of a useful life is that our priority is God's glory alone. And now today we want to look at the rest of the marks of a useful life. And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me again to Genesis 41. It is page 40 in the chair Bible in front of you, and I encourage you to turn there 
And let's take a moment, shall we, and just pray together. Lord God, teach us your purposes for us. We know that you are sovereign. We know that history is his, Jesus' story. And we know that we are not in an endless cycle of history that is going nowhere. But rather, history is a straight line. And God in his sovereign will and purposes is guiding history to its concluding end. And someday Jesus will appear and establish his kingdom. And we are part of extending that kingdom now. And you desire that we would be a useful servant in the master's house. Ready, prepared for every good work. Teach us now how that happens. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's notice as we begin with verse 17 this morning that secondly, the mark of a useful life is we remain completely faithful to the Word of God. Now notice how Pharaoh recounts his dreams that we read in verses 1 to 8 to Joseph, and then Joseph interprets them. Look at verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now the thing we need to notice here is that Pharaoh's dream was God's revelation. Did you notice that in verse 25? Joseph says God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The word revealed here is a very critical word in the Old Testament. It means to declare, to make known, to actually proclaim it is the very word used of Moses and other prophets to declare the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 5.5 5. Now how Joseph handled this revelation 
is an incredible model of faithfulness to Scripture. And so what we are being taught here is very clear that a useful vessel for God is a believer who remains completely faithful to the Word of God. Now let's notice Joseph's example. First of all, he had absolute confidence that God's Word was true and trustworthy. Three times in his explanation of the dream, he says it is what God will do. Did you notice at the beginning, verse 25, God is about to do this. In the middle, verse 28, this is what God is about to do. And at the end of verse 32, God will shortly bring it about. In the original language, it is the same Hebrew word, to do or to make. When I was a boy in Sunday school, there was a song that we used to sing. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. And we sang that song very often. Some of you sang it as well. And Joseph could have sung that song. Three times he essentially says, God said it, I believe it, and it is settled for me. And then I want you to notice that he interpreted God's revelation accurately without changing, altering, or omitting anything. It is very interesting, in the retelling of the dream by Pharaoh, we learn something that we did not know before. Look at verse 21. When Pharaoh shares the retelling of the dream, notice what he says. He says here that the thin, ugly cows ate up the plump cows. And did you notice what verse 21 says? for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. That's the new thing now that we didn't know from verses 1 to 7. And it was the thing that startled Pharaoh in the dream because he says in verse 21, when I saw that after they ate up the plump cows, they were still ugly and thin, he says, then I awoke. So I want you to notice here, the main point of the dream was not the seven years of plenty, but it was the seven years of severe famine. What God was teaching to Pharaoh is that this dream is a warning, prepare during the good years because the bad years will be so bad, they will totally wipe out the good years. Now, what was Joseph's emphasis then in interpreting this dream? Was he accurate? Did Joseph say what God said? Did he stress the main point of the dream, which was a warning to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would take action? And the answer is, you bet he did. You bet he did. In fact, look down at verse 26. And did you notice that he just mentions the seven good cows and the seven ears, the seven uh, plump ears, 
And he just says those refer to seven years. There is no explanation. But then when you look at verse 27, when he mentions the seven ugly cows and the empty years, he says these are not just seven years, but seven years of famine. Did you notice in his explanation, the focus is on the famine first. And then in the explanation, the full explanation that he gives, he just briefly touches on the seven good years, but notice that the famine is explained in detail. In fact, he takes three verses to explain the famine. Look at them again in verse 29. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, just mentioned. But after them, notice this explanation, how full it is. There will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. Joseph explained the dream exactly as God intended with the emphasis upon the years of famine as the most prominent. By the way, this is not an easy thing to do with a pharaoh, is it? Because if you upset a pharaoh... He's not happy with what you've said. You can easily end up back in jail. You remember what happened to Moses and Aaron when they upset the Pharaoh in their day? He said he threatened them with death. And so what a temptation there is here. Just to soften this a little bit. Just to tweak it. Not to make the warning sound so harsh and so stern. But Joseph doesn't do that. You see, the task of God's servant is not to change or to alter it, but to declare it accurately. Let me share with you probably the most important verse in all the Bible on preaching and teaching and leading Bible studies. It is 2 Timothy 2.15. Read it with me. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The most important thing in all preaching and teaching is accuracy of interpretation. Do you know this term accurately means to cut it straight? Not to deviate, not to bend it, but to cut it straight. And the most important question when we are listening to a pastor, a teacher, a Bible study leader is this question, are they faithfully saying what God says? Are they cutting it straight? 
I was taught both in Bible college and seminary to preach verse by verse. Now, there are other ways to preach. And uh, variety sometimes can be very helpful, so don't, please don't misunderstand me. But to consistently, accurately teach the Word of God in context, verse by verse, is the safest way. Because when we teach the Word of God verse by verse in context, we are less likely to alter God's Word, to change it, or to omit the hard truth. It was interesting, a number of years ago, a young couple was visiting. They were sitting right over here, and she had graduated from uh, Northern. She and her husband lived out in the West. And she said, whenever we're traveling, she said, uh, if we can't find a church in our denomination, she said, we always go to a Baptist church. She says, because we are more apt there to get verse-by-verse teaching than anywhere else. And I thought, what an interesting comment. Someone said to me, uh, they read ahead in the story of Joseph, they said when we got to Genesis 38, they were hoping I would skip it. Uh, There's some very uncomfortable truth in that chapter, and I actually, I'm glad that they said that to me, Because when I planned out my sermons, I had actually planned to skip Genesis 38. And then this thought came to me. Can I do that and be faithful to God? And the answer was no. And then this thought came to me, if I skip it, I'm a coward. And no coward belongs in the pulpit. A.W. Tozer one time said, No one belongs in the pulpit who is more afraid of people than he is afraid of God. And I thought, if I skip Genesis 38, I'm a coward. And then this also came to me. If I skip that chapter, I'm withholding hard truth that is essential truth for the health of the people of God. If that is not said from the pulpit, where will you hear it in the culture? You will not. And so it's only by being faithful to what God says that the people of God will get all that they knew they need. And Joseph very clearly here accurately interprets the word without changing it, altering it, or omitting it. Now, a third thing Joseph did, he knew God's Word calls us to respond to do what God says. Would you look down at verse 32 for just a moment, verse 34. After the explanation, Joseph says to Pharaoh, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and then Joseph lays out a plan. Do you know, three times Joseph said God revealed what he was about to do. Now Pharaoh has something to do. The word proceed is the very same word for to do that Joseph used three different times. And Joseph does this deliberately. He does this on purpose. He is saying to Pharaoh, God has spoken and now we must respond. 
Joseph understood that. By the way, what does James say? James says to us, be not just hearers of the word, but what? Doers, lest we deceive ourselves. And James goes on to say, faith without works is what? Dead. Because that faith would then be by itself. I went to Moody Bible Institute and the founder of our school said this, the Bible was not given for our information, but the Bible was given for our transformation. That's why God gave it. To hear it and not to do it is to really not hear it at all. And so notice this amazing model of faithfulness to God's Word. Joseph has absolute confidence it's true. He interprets it accurately. He cuts it straight. No altering it. No changing it. No omitting it. And then he says, we've got to do something now. God has spoken. We must respond. I say to you, sadly, in our day, some formerly useful servants are now unuseful. And it is for this very reason. It is because they are no longer remaining completely faithful to the Word of God. This past week in an interview that was broadcast and is available nationally and internationally, Former President Jimmy Carter said this, and I I watched the interview last evening. He said, I believe that Jesus would approve of gay marriage. I think Jesus would encourage any love affair if it was honest and sincere and was not damaging to anyone else. And I don't see that gay marriage damages anyone else. Isn't that so sad? President Carter has taught a Bible class in his hometown church for decades. You used to be able to go and visit the class and afterwards you could have your picture taken with the former president. I was a teenager when he emerged as a shining light talking about being born again in Christ. And now he puts his own words in Jesus' mouth to make Jesus say the opposite of what he actually taught. And sadly, President Carter has now become a driving influence encouraging many, many churches down that same path. And stories like this of formerly useful servants who are now unusable are more and more common. Here at Bethel, if there's one thing that I could pray that our church would always be, it would be that our hallmark is faithfulness to Scripture. 
that when people thought about Bethel, they would think about a church that is absolutely faithful to the revelation of God. May that ever be. Because if that continues to be the case, we will be a useful church. That is God's plan and God's purpose. Now as we continue, let's notice another mark of a useful life. Thirdly, we live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Pick it up with me, if you would, at verse 33, and notice how the story continues. Now therefore, let Joseph select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we fan a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Here is the next mark of a useful life. We live under the control of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite pastors is Pastor Charles Spurgeon, who was wonderfully used of God. When I saw this, I knew I had to share it with you. Look what he said. Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without wind. We are useless. I love to visit the majestic tall ships when they come into Lower Harbor, don't you? My, they're majestic. But without wind, they're totally useless. And that's what God's Word is saying to us. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we also are totally useless. Now, did you notice in verse 38 that Pharaoh said more than he knew? Not the first time in Scripture. He said about Joseph that he was a man in whom is the Spirit of God. You know, this is the first time mentioned in the Bible. Think of this. 
Joseph is the first person in the Bible whom we are told the Spirit of God lived in him. This is something that we need to set up and say the first time. This is very important. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain believers to endow them for service, but then the Spirit of God could leave them again. But Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 17, The Spirit of truth dwells with you, but he will be in you. And what Joseph uniquely experienced in the Old Testament now one day would be true of all believers. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, what we read about Joseph in him is the Spirit of God is true of you. By the way, one thing that will help us a little bit sometimes as believers is just to pause now and then and say, Lord, thank you that the Holy Spirit indwells me. Whatever my circumstances, however I feel, Lord, I know this is true. The Holy Spirit lives within me. Now, I want you to notice two things that Pharaoh recognized about Joseph. By the way, if the Holy Spirit lives within us, will people recognize it? You better believe they will. Notice two things he said about Joseph. He said the Spirit of God was in him. And number two, he was wise and discerning. The Spirit of God was in him, and he was wise and discerning. I want to take you to another passage that brings both of these things together in a way that we realize what we're told in the New Testament, once again, is illustrated in the life of Joseph. Here are the verses, Ephesians 5, 15 to 18. Now, watch how these two things are brought together. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now read the last phrase with me. But be filled with the Spirit. Did you see this today? Did you see how the link, be wise, is linked at the end with Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The same two things we see in the life of Joseph. Once again, he is our model. The key to Joseph's wise and discerning life was the power of the Holy Spirit. If we want to be wise and discerning, live a useful life, We must have the power of the Holy Spirit. Now when we compare Joseph's life with Ephesians 5, 15 to 18, 
what we see is a number of things that are true about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, listen as we go through this. Is this true of me, true of you? Number one, to be controlled by the Spirit, the Spirit has to be in us. You have to be a saved person. Joseph was a saved man in relationship with Almighty God. Can I stop and just say, are you a saved person? In order for to have the Spirit of God within you, you must come to Christ in faith and in trust, believing who He said He was, what He accomplished, and rose again. And you must repent, come to the foot of the cross, and trust Him to be your Lord and Savior, the forgiver of your sins. And the Bible says, the Holy Spirit comes within you. Let me ask, are you a saved person? And then to be controlled by the Spirit, we must understand what the will of the Lord is. Did you see that in the middle there? Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Joseph understood the dreams, didn't he? He believed God's revelation. He interpreted the revelation accurately. And then he acted upon it. He said, this is now what we must do. God's revelation of His will to us is found here in the Bible. Therefore, to be controlled by the Spirit, we must believe it. We must know it. We must understand it accurately. And we must commit to obey it. That's why here at our church, all of our ministries are ultimately related to that very thing. Understanding the Scriptures accurately so that we can know the will of the Lord because what we don't know can't be used to control us. And then thirdly, I want you to notice that the control of the Holy Spirit enables practical wisdom. It is how to walk in this world. Joseph comes up with a practical plan for Pharaoh. He says, appoint an administrator. He says, levy a 20% tax during the seven years of good. And then have that surplus stored in strategic places so when the severe famine comes, there will be enough food for people to get to so they will not starve to death. It is a practical, wise plan. And notice what we're being told here. The control of the Holy Spirit is primarily seen in walking wisely in daily life with God and others. Let me say that again. Wise living, not foolish living, according to the will of the Lord, is walking wisely in daily life in relationship to God and to others. A few years ago, a four-star general had to resign. And the reason he resigned was because of ethical violations. And somebody said, uh, uh, as they saw that whole thing unfold, they said this, don't be the kind of person who gets straight A's in school and flunks regular life. 
And the Holy Spirit was not primarily given to control us so that He would give us straight A's in school. He was primarily given so that He could control us. So in regular life, we could relate to God and each other properly. Do you know what follows here in Ephesians? After this call to wise living and being controlled by the Spirit of God are all kinds of practical ways to live. How to relate properly to God and others in our church, verses 19 to 21. How to live harmoniously in marriage, complementing one another with the wife respecting her husband and the husband loving his wife, verses 22 to 33. How to live united as a family with the children honoring the parents and the parents not provoking the children. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And how to live effectively at work, having good labor relations, verses 5 to 9 of chapter 6. All of that is the wise living the Holy Spirit wants to control in our life. Do you see that? The wisdom the Holy Spirit gives is a practical wisdom relating wisely to God and to others. Bible teacher R.C. Sproul, who went to be with the Lord earlier this year, has said this, If we're filled with the Spirit, we'll exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. But of course, this takes time. These are not superficial character adjustments that happen overnight. They involve a reshaping of the innermost dispositions of the heart, which is a lifelong process of sanctification by the Spirit. You see, Joseph did not get this wisdom overnight. But he got it over years of cultivating, walking with the Lord. And it is the same way with us. And as we cultivate that walk with the Lord, understanding His will, committing to do it, the Holy Spirit is gradually making us a person who is not flunking regular life. Let's continue on. Finally, fourth mark of a useful believer is God can trust us with success as well as adversity. God can trust us with success as well as adversity. Look at verse 40. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. 
And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath-Paneah. And he gave him in marriage to Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Pharaoh went out, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Two questions for you. How many think this is the most sudden rise to nearly absolute power in all the Bible? If this is not, you tell me who had such a sudden rise to absolute power in all the Bible? Here's the second question. How many think this is more dangerous to Joseph's spiritual life than being in prison? Rapid rise to success at such a young age, verse 46, 30, is worse than years of adversity. To be told how wonderful you are and have all of these things dumped in your lap ruins many, many people. If you've lived very long, you know this. For those ruined by adversity, far more are ruined by success, right? For those ruined by adversity, far more are ruined by success. Let me ask you, what has made America great, success or adversity? You know the answer to that. Bible teacher J. Vernon McGee on his radio broadcast used to say this, God has not made me a rich man. He knew he couldn't trust me. Can God trust you? Can God trust me? If God cannot trust us, He cannot use us. Let me say that again. If God cannot trust us, He cannot use us. How do we know Joseph was still a man of faith who would not forget God? Well, you know how the rest of the story turns out. The seven good years come, and Joseph stores up all the grain, 20% tax. The seven years of famine come, and Joseph opens the granaries of Egypt. A multitude of lives are saved. But how do we know in the midst of his success that Joseph remained a man of faith who would not forget God? Look at what he named his children. 
Look at verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Azanoth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You know what Manasseh means? Causing to forget. God removed any bitterness that Joseph had over his past. Let me say this very clearly. You know that you are a man or a woman of faith if you let God heal your bitterness. Is there somebody here today who is bitter? And you would say to me, Pastor, I have the right to be bitter. If you only knew what I've been through, I have the right to be bitter. I hate to say this to you. You're not a man or a woman of faith. Because God wants to heal your bitterness. It can't be useful if you're bitter. And if you really trust God, you will let Him heal your bitterness, no matter how long that takes. You know what Ephraim means? Double fruit. Joseph was still giving God all the glory. You are a man or woman of faith if you are humble in success. If God has made you a success and you are a man or woman of faith, you will not forget where you came from. And you will remain as humble in success as you were in adversity. So do you notice now we have come full circle, haven't we? Joseph is still giving glory to God. Success has changed nothing. This is the life that God uses. Let's affirm this is the life we want to have. Would you join me as we close? One, our priority is God's glory alone. We remain completely faithful to the Word of God. We live under the control of the Holy Spirit. God can trust us with success as well as adversity. Let's bow together. Lord, make us useful servants in the Master's house. Make us a useful church. May it ever be. For Jesus' sake. Amen.